This week in the parish of bourses and market structure. Nasdaq restructures while awaiting regulation for a crypto exchange decision. New rules at ADGM and the CME moves towards brokerage as Hong Kong looks to embrace one-denominated trading. My name is Patrick L. Young. Welcome to the Bourse Business Weekly Digest. It's the Exchange Invest Weekly Podcast, episode 164. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. This is a very brief reduction of the highlights from what has been a spectacularly busy week in market structure. All the analysis of the many events and happenings from the past seven days can be found in Exchange Invest daily subscriber newsletter, the unique guide to the bourse business sent daily to your inbox for only $300 a year. More details at exchangeinvest.com. Let's start by looking back 40 years towards a life story. It was curious that there were zero official celebrations in the air this week, but 40 years ago last Friday, the then Bank of England Governor Gordon Richardson cut a ribbon hanging in the Royal Exchange in the City of London and ceremonially preempted the first bell being rung to start trading. From there on, the City of London's presence in derivatives already on exchange in commodity forms at various venues, had entered the modern, or what I prefer to call, Sandorian era of markets. Across the road, the options traders added some colour to the suits on the London Stock Exchange floor, but soon life had captured the imagination as the dynamic market right in the heart of a building, rebuilt often since being originally constructed by Sir Thomas Gresham and opened by the original Queen Elizabeth in 1571 AD. I was not there on day one, relieved to say I was far too young, but it was a fantastic place to learn markets, make friends and experience something which digital markets still cannot replicate. The cacophony of thousands of voices seeking to make markets and bring liquidity, accessibility and transparency to the world. Life was founded after the IPE, L. Fox, and many other commodities exchanges, including LME, within the square mile, and it followed the great floors of Chicago and New York as major titans of exchange commerce. It lives on to this day via the ether as a balance sheet powerhouse within the magnificent portfolio of ICE. Of course, the lessons to take away from this episode is that, with the rose tint of history, it all looked obvious. Futures were a great idea which succeeded on a smooth arc of acceptance to become mainstream. Yet, as the British government has been discovering of late, the force of reaction is powerful within the establishment, and even when Life traded its one millionth contract on August 5th, 1983, and two millionth by March 9th, 1984, there were still vast swathes of cynicism. Co-founder and twice-chairman of Life, Sir Brian Williamson, used to note that The Economist magazine, no less, took years to stop dismissing the concept of Life before finally getting on board with the success of exchange-traded derivatives years after the reality was voluminously obvious. 
After four decades of success, it appears life is enjoying a somewhat muted anniversary, but those who worked on the floor or for the exchange itself retain a remarkable unifying bond. And indeed, I'm sure I was not alone in raising a glass to celebrate a great market that did so much to accelerate the world of derivatives trading. It's a great lesson in vision, thanks to all who persevere and built the original market. Even when the Bank of England was itself cynical, the whole process might work. It's a very useful lesson concerning a rather low-latency media public opinion-forming process and the wider blob whose short-termism cum narrow-minded perspectives on the future usually involves a rush to judgment before the facts have been established. Happy birthday, life. May you have many, many more successful years as part of the Intercontinental Exchange. Meanwhile, Tata Consultancy Services have been announced as the new title sponsor of the London Marathon. Will this, I wonder, build on their recent services in the parish, perhaps akin to the TCS non-stellation at MCX? If you in the marathon hit a wall at, say, 18 miles on the track, in the world of parish code delivery, you'll be allowed a few months' respite before having to finish the marathon. Will that also apply to events on the track across the centre of London? MCX was preparing to fly solo without access to the source code of its thus unsupported from October the 1st 63 moons technology at the end of last week. That lasted as long as the weekend, at which stage we had peace in our time, or at least peace for the next three months, when MCX presumably not only blinked under duress, but also paid up in a fashion which will have left 63 moons, feeling somewhat vindicated that they were cut out of the replacement tender in the first place. MCX must be feeling humiliated, and one can only guess at what has been said by SEBI behind closed doors. It's hard to argue that this is anything but a total shambles that has been poorly managed by the exchange, egregiously mismanaged by TCS, and ultimately allowed Jignesh Shah to bathe in the white-hatted glory of MCX saviour all the time, wheeling a handy trolley of cash away from the process. Now... MCX has a 90-day rollover and TCS is apparently hoping to deliver its new system within three to four months. Even without deploying my fingers to calculate here, I see a concerning mismatch in tenor and I suspect the second 63 Moons SLA renewal would be more eye-poppingly expensive still. Anyway, however you look at it, the delivery of the new TCS system to MCX is turning into quite a marathon in its own right. NASDAQ are going to wait for regulation to be established before launching their crypto exchange. Quite a sensible approach, really. In another sensible approach, they've announced a fascinating new corporate structure to accelerate the strategy of the Adina Friedman era. NASDAQ's business units are now going to be across three divisions, market platforms, capital access platforms, and anti-financial crime. Very interesting to note that, therefore, there's going to be technology powerhouses in at least two of those three separate divisions. The CME, they grabbed the headlines, albeit only briefly. Actually, all the real insight was in Exchange Invest, of all places, this week. Futures giant CME considers brokerage. Taking cue from crypto rival FTX, went the headline in the Wall Street Journal. CME, according to that Wall Street Journal story, has filed paperwork to create a futures commission merchant. CME Group Inc. criticised crypto exchange FTX's plan to cut out the middlemen in the futures markets. Now the Chicago exchange giant is taking a step in the same direction. 
Thus went the Wall Street Journal story last week, and thereafter the media became actually somewhat of a void for insight, because I suppose it goes into the hashtag it's complicated box. Rather, the pitch was left entirely open for Exchange Invest. Therein lies our newsletter advantage, and why at $300 per user per year, you can have a phenomenal informational advantage by reading the Exchange of Information. All the info, and there was a lot of analytical pith, was in the newsletter this week. DM us now to start your free trial, as the notion of a CME brokerage is a seismic one. And if you work near the market infrastructure, or are a user of it in any way, you need to understand the dynamics surrounding this massive issue. Another massive issue coming to market soon. Hong Kong is planning to start yuan stock trading in the first half of 2023. Over in Africa, the Botswana Stock Exchange this week accelerated their push to encourage cross-listings with the Zimbabwe Stock Exchange in order to expand funding options for capital-starved domestic corporations. Still in Africa, in Nairobi, coffee farmers are making a bid to be able to participate at auctions. They have the license, but for some reason or another, so far they haven't actually been allowed to enter the auction room itself. Just one new market this week, MRHB, the first Halal Web3 ecosystem, have launched Tijarx, the tokenized commodity exchange. However, it was a fairly busy week in deals in the parish. All the deals were in, of course, Exchange Invest Daily, the newsletter no person can afford to be without in capital markets and market structure. For the sake of this podcast, let's look at some edited highlights. Bashundara's company, they're going to be allowed to be the strategic partner of the Chittagong Stock Exchange in Bangladesh. Exciting news, a Bashundara group may be allowed to buy up to 25% of the shares of the exchange. That came in, of course, just days after the same Bashundara group were not allowed to set up a commodity exchange in Bangladesh. If you're trying to understand better what's going on in the world of financial markets and look towards the future of fintech, in addition to Exchange Invest Daily, let me suggest my latest book, Victory or Death, Blockchain, Cryptocurrency and the Fintech World. 20 years on from the capital market revolution, it's the must-read, published by DV Books and distributed by Ingram Worldwide. While you're waiting for your copy of Victory or Death to arrive... Check out our live stream. That's on Tuesdays at 6pm London, 1pm New York time. The IPO video live show. Catch the back episodes on LinkedIn and YouTube via IPO-vid. In our most recent show, our guest was the electrifying Paul Kahn of Computer Share. That kicked off season 14, discussing all about markets around the world from front office to back. Coming in our next episode, we've got Olivier Garris, building better markets all over the world from an established builder of exchanges on no fewer than four continents so far. Catch that 1pm New York time. That's coming this coming Tuesday. In Cryptoland, Coinbase had a glitch. It blocked trades from US bank accounts, so therefore no one was able to withdraw their funds for six hours. Slightly embarrassing. The Binance CEO, he's certainly on a major Damascene conversion. Regulatory clarity will help crypto adoption, said no one other than CZ, the chief executive of the still remarkably secretive Binance. Where are their headquarters? Well, that's open to question. Go Google it and you get a cornucopia of answers.
Lord Spencer, better known as Michael Spencer, of course, from his ICAP days before he sold next to the CME Group, some prescient analysis. He said the Bank of England's money printing is to blame for the Bitcoin bubble. Complaining about the Bank of England's QE excesses. Quite fair too. Bad news this week in India, Indian crypto exchange Wazarex fired 40% of their staff. Some 50 to 70 employees from the 150 workers at the exchange have been asked to leave the company. That's, of course, an update following on from our publication on July the 26th in Medium and LinkedIn, an article gathering together some of the data on job losses across a selection of leading exchanges in the crypto environment. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly. We welcome your feedback. You can contact me directly, patrick at derivativesvision.com with any comments. Meanwhile, if you enjoyed this show, we would welcome you giving us a thumbs up. Or if you have time, a positive review will always be welcome wherever you find this podcast. Product news this week, the government body and think tank Niti Ayog, they've got a draft in the works for water trading on exchange. At the same time, the author of the report noted India will face a lot of resistance the moment water is made a tradable commodity. Nonetheless, I would have to add, water futures were a commodity product that no one other than this particular podcaster, PLY, had suggested would be a major feature of this decade as long ago as January the 1st, 2000 AD. The Uribor pool, that is in expansion mode for the first time uh, since the rigging scandal itself took place. Uribor, of course, still holding on to the Ibor methodology at a point in time when everybody else has gone for, well, alternative measures. Speaking earlier as we were about those new products coming into Hong Kong market, aka Chinese denominated assets, i.e. trading in renminbi or yuan, depending on how you prefer to refer to the Chinese currency, Tencent, Hong Kong exchanges, New World, Ping An, in other words, major top tier names are among the first firms to already explore Hong Kong issuance of yuan shares under the new scheme being proposed. London Metals Exchange, they're considering issuing a discussion paper on Russian metal amidst somewhat of a controversy and indeed also many lagging issues about sanctions. The National Commodity Derivatives Exchange of India, NCDEX, they're going to be relaunching Robusta Coffee Futures and Dubai's DGCX are making it easier for bullion traders to raise short-term funds with new gold contracts. In blockchain news this week... Rather depressing defeatism from the Bank of England, once again, in this case in the relation to financial technology. They say that a blockchain rollout across all markets is just too challenging. Perhaps it's not worth doing, but the idea that there's simply not the capability to do so sounds to me as if it's rather, well, defeatist and insulting to the London's financial infrastructure. The Botswana Bourse, meanwhile, they've modernised their tech infrastructure from front to back. And SEBI is about to issue a circular saying that in the case of a technical outage, trading hours on Indian bourses will be extended for the period of the previous closure. Regulation news this week. Very exciting news coming out of the UAE this week as ADGM, Abu Dhabi Global Markets, the regulator there, finalised a fascinating comprehensive set of regulations for a cornucopia of different kinds of market venues. Check it out over at the ADGM website.
Bad news for a couple of CEFs, both uh, BGC and also TPICAP's CEF were caught out this week, mostly in relation to the 15-second gap, which gave them somewhat of a 15 minutes of fame this week because, of course, they've been trading before they'd shown the entire market what was effectively being systematically internalised between certain classes of user. The CFTC, they've charged Digitex founder Adam Todd with multiple violations of the Commodity Exchange Act, bringing down that particular cryptocurrency exchange to boot. In career news this week, well, first of all, an obituary. A great name, Ian Hay Davidson, originally an accountant, he took on the formidable task of reforming Lloyds of London. But as well as his work on Lloyds, closest to the parish, Hay Davidson, who was indeed also at one point in time on the board of the London Stock Exchange, was best known for his report into the Hong Kong securities industry, written in the aftermath of its week-long closure during the crash of 1987. Fabulous news as, well, it's the opposite of the curse. The blessing of IPO vid is apparent once again. Another promotion amongst the IPO alumnus body. Intercontinental Exchange have named Katerina Karamashi as head of combined global interest rates and equity derivatives product portfolio, adding to Katerina's existing responsibility for equity derivatives worldwide. Fabulous news and hopefully we can hear from Kat again on IPOVid discussing her even broader product remit within the considerable ICE portfolio. It was a week for big numbers. Lebanon have slashed the official exchange rate from the end of October. That's coming up. The official exchange rate will thus go from 1507 per dollar, that was a rate adopted 25 years ago, to a round number, 15,000 Lebanese pounds per dollar. It's not clear that that will halt the increasingly anarchic state of affairs on the streets in Beirut, but we live in hope, even though it's obviously going to be a very, very bitter blow to local savers. Meanwhile, a recent study by Charles Schwab, the broker and fund manager, has found that many Americans believe that you need to have at least $774,000 to feel financially comfortable and $2.2 million to feel wealthy. Unfortunately, that comes against a backdrop where the Dow Jones average, as I record this, is down 17% year-to-date and the Nasdaq down 29%. At the same time, here's a fascinating fact which the doomster media don't want to mention right now. Shanghai LA benchmark shipping container rates have fallen 74% from their peaks back to 2020 levels. All this during the worst inflationary environment the media can apparently recall. And on that mysterious and magnificent note, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Patrick L. Young, creator of Markets Worldwide. I wish you all a great week in blockchain, life and markets. Thanks for listening. This show relates to the business of bourses. It is not to be construed as investment advice, nor are we making any investment recommendations. Please consult an investment advisor before you make any investments, and for goodness sake, do your due diligence and do not make investments without complying with the regulations in your home state. Exchange Invest cannot be held responsible for any investment decisions made as a result of our program, which is for entertainment purposes only.
The material herein is copyright Patrick L. Young at the date of publication, while our music and sound effects are sourced from copyright-free sources. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly, the exchange of information.